This episode of the Adventure Jogger podcast brought to you by Lori, Amanda Turner, Rocco Salvatore, Running in Stash, Jenny Early, and Soon Chul Choi, and all of our Patreon listeners and supporters. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Not going to sugarcoat it, folks. We're going straight to the front of the pack for this one. A rising star on the Beast Coast, a rising star in the world of ultra running, a hell of a a 2022 so far and it's not even done yet he uh, won the Cayuga Trails 50 miler the Black Hills 100 miler and recently ran and won the Eastern States 100 miler lives in New York Ryan Clifford is on the adventure jogger welcome Ryan hey Ryan thanks for having me um you're, you've been getting a lot of trophies this year you got a big old <laughs> axe for winning Eastern States where are you putting all this stuff in your tiny New York apartment <laughs> well, the axe is uh, sitting underneath the uh, dining, room, uh, dining room table that I'm using right now to uh, have my laptop propped up for this uh, little Zoom. <laughs> just, just going through your results for this year and then and then stalking you on social media, you may have had the best year for trophies. Because you know, <laughs> other than you know winning Western States and getting that Cougar, you knocked out two really awesome trophies in the 100 milers that you won that that eastern states axe is so cool and it's so appropriate for eastern (laughs) states but is it better or not than the trophy you got for winning the black hills 100 which is like this cattle skull (laughs) you know that is a very good question um I don't know. A lot of people have asked me that and, you know, they've asked, did I choose those races because of the awards for uh, first place? Yeah. I'll yeah. be honest. I did not. Um, I just chose it because of where it fit in my schedule. Um, but I, th- I think the Axe might have to take the win on this one just because of just having someone hand you an axe after a race i mean <laughs> so cool <laughs> basically it sounds like ryan you had no idea what you were winning you, yeah. you you set a new course record at black hills and you're like you know i'm probably gonna get one of those trophies that has the man running on it that's like gold plastic on the top and it's gonna say first place black hills 100 you're like you're looking around going where's that trophy with the plastic man and gold on top and then they hand you a a, a dead cattle skull which is so cool and so appropriate for the race and then eastern states too you got to be like okay there's a cougar at western states is eastern states a mountain lion oh no it's an axe (laughs) (laughs) so going into the black hills race i actually knew a couple days prior um that it was going to be that skull and i was like oh that's really cool like but we took a, a plane over from New York. It's like, how are we going to transport that? <laughs> <laughs> how, okay, that's something people don't even think about. You mm-hmm. flew in to run that race, and then all of a sudden, you have to figure out how in the heck to get a dead cow skull 
<laughs> home in New York. Before we talk about the race, how the heck did you do that? So the skull is actually painted by a local artist mm-hmm. uh, honoring the Native American tradition. Yeah. And they do this not just for the race, but they do it as their business. Yeah. So they are shipping that, you know, all around the country, all around the world, I'm sure. So uh, it came in this giant box um, after the race. They were like, oh, well, we can ship it to you, um, yada, yada, yada. So I was like, okay, yeah, like that makes the most sense. It's obviously a very fragile uh, award. Right, right. So it came in this giant box that had to have been like three and a half feet by three and a half feet. It had little packing peanuts in it. And then it's wrapped up in this big plastic bag that yeah. you you pull out of the packing peanuts and then you uncover it. And then it's, it's just so cool um, to like, just even get it in the mail. I was just so excited to get it. So now, you know, this is the only trail running podcast in America where you can find out how to get your dead cow deer skull trophy home. <laughs> They'll mail it to you. Exactly. <laughs> so Ryan, let's go back before we get into your year. And I, I really want to talk about the, the 200 miles. I know you've done a lot of other races. I think you've, you've had a great year. You've won a lot. I think you did third place at, at one race, and I saw that. And you must have been really pissed at yourself for that third place. Like, ah, <laughs> Clifford, don't don't take third. Clifford wins. Um, and I want to really focus on Black Hills because that that race is it looks so amazing. And I know it's it's a newer race, and I think it's one of those that will become one of those races that ultimately uh, fills up very quickly and sells out a lot. And of course, Eastern States as well. But before we get into those two races, Ryan, kind of give us your running story. You just appear out of nowhere and people are messaging me saying, you got to get Ryan Clifford on. You got to get Ryan Clifford on. And I'm trying to figure out what is the Ryan Clifford story? Yeah. So I guess my running story begins earlier than I guess most people, um, back we had, um, I remember in, I was seven years old when we would have, um, these like PAL police activity league meets, um, like track meets, like 800 mile, 400, whatever it was. And I, I was doing the mile at that point and it was like the big, biggest deal ever that I ran a seven sub seven minute mile when I was seven years old. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow you're running six minute miles at seven years old yeah um i mean it might have been like a 659 if i'm being honest but um, well, i'll take it. It, it it was still very cool and then it kind of progressed into um before middle school was like and even during middle school it was a lot of road races you know 5ks um and trail 5ks on road mm-hmm. uh five mile races and then you know, the typical cross country in high school, um, and then cross country track and field in college. And then right when I made that like transition in college to running like the longer stuff to, um, kind of the more competitive longer stuff. Yeah. Um, it was, it was probably junior year of college when I was, like a 5k guy and then i transitioned to a 5k 10k guy um and then eventually made my way senior year to cross the division two cross country nationals for um cross and yeah. then had a stellar like indoor season with the uh, 5k uh 3k double indoors and then uh 10k 5k steeplechase uh triple outdoors so uh, 
that that's kind of where <laughs> that came from. And then right after uh, my conference championship meet in uh, senior conference championship meet in college for outdoor track, uh, I think three weeks after after was a uh, Cayuga Trails uh, 50 miler that I signed up on a web. I was like, you know, let's let's just see what this is all about. Um, <laughs> you're a 10k guy you know yeah, at exactly. that point you're, you're you're a 10k specialist and oh let's just go farther let's go more than 10 <laughs> times farther or, or, or right around that uh, do my yeah. math I'm, I'm my wife's the math teacher i i, I'm, I suck <laughs> at it but yes yeah, so how is that jumping into a race like that basically on a 10k so my coach had an interesting strategy the last two years of college when he realized I was able to handle more mileage and, you know, be able to, um, do some more of these, uh, endurance based runs with, uh, less recovery time than my like fellow teammates. Yeah. So we kind of did a little bit of like, uh, testing and like, I, I would be doing like doubles, like two, three, four times a week um, while the team was probably only doing doubles one or two times a week. Yeah. So I was already running higher mileage than most people um, in college. So like 100, 115, right. 120 miles. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't too weird of a transition for that, but definitely that spring season, like there were some very key 20 mile runs, 18 mile long runs that, like I know I'm training for like a 5k, 10k um, right. at the end of the season, but I also know in the back of my head, okay, I have this 50 miler coming up uh, that I'm also training for. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, it, you think about that, but I mean, the training method is interesting because you read about what mileage is actually necessary to complete ultras when it comes to a long run. And I mean, I've, I've read articles that say, I mean, you can replace long runs with more frequent middle distance hard efforts and that kind of seems like what you were doing for college cross country doing more not so much the 18 20 25 30 mile runs you were doing a whole lot of those mid distance runs throughout the week yeah exactly and that i think that's the better way to go Mm -hmm. but it it's one of those things that you just have to kind of try, try and find for yourself, see what works. So it works for you. Like what using that, that your coach taught you in college cross country, you transition that now you're out of college, you mm-hmm. know, coach can't give you the work. I mean, he still, he still can, but you're not paying him tuition anymore. Yeah. But So do you kind of use that training method, that college cross country training method for the ultras you're doing now? I would definitely say so. A lot of it, now is a little time dependent with being able to juggle work and training um and honestly getting i mean i'm sure everyone knows but like getting a two-hour period it's a lot easier to get one run in than trying to split maybe 45 minutes in the morning and an hour 15 right or so now a lot of that now is just based off my ability just to run and get mileage in yeah um but i i think that is the biggest thing and the consistency with all the training and it's not just like a six month block or whatever it's years of these right. kind of blocks yes. building up which um like i could go into a 100 mile race now and average like 80 90 miles a week and be fine for the 100 mile race because i know what my training's been right and so what does that week look like let's say you're you're, you're prepping for black hills 
You know, you're in you're in New York City and you're you're prepping for your Long Island and you're, <laughs> and you're prepping for a race out in the Black Hills, which has got I mean, it's not crazy vert, but it's got some ups. It's got some some ups and downs. And of course, you're you're off road on that. How do you how did you train for that race? Like what did the average week look for you as you're getting close to peak for that race? Yeah, so with most of my training blocks, I always try to build up mm-hmm. uh, to a certain mileage and then hold that for a couple of weeks. And then two weeks uh, before the race, drop the mileage drastically um, for that peak. But I would say for uh, Black Hill specifically, I think I got two or three weeks at right around 100, Yeah, uh, which is a little, in my opinion, low for that. But I had a unique training situation where I was up at a um, summer camp actually building, building an escape room for the summer camp that I used to work at um, multi- over multiple weekends um, with the le- weeks leading up to that. Yeah. And the train there uh, is definitely much more different than uh, on Long Island. So I was able to get some good trail runs in, um, some good technical trail runs that might not have been as fast, um, but like I would be up there four or five times. Uh, so it was like long weekends and I would have four or five runs that I'd be able to get in. Yeah. Um, one day I would do, uh, say, 20-mile trail run that are technical trails. You know, they're going to get five, six, seven thousand 7,000 feet of vert. Yeah. Um, and then the next day I might do 15 miles on the roads, which are – it's the same terrain, uh, but you're able to go a little bit faster. And I think that played to the terrain that Black Hills had because there were some ups and downs that were definitely runnable. Um, but there were also some good flat sections on the tops of the hills and then uh, in the valleys that you were able to really kind of push a little bit to, you know, get more of a lead or um, my big thing was just <laughs> getting as much time as possible in the daylight yeah. because the race had such a late start compared to what most ultras do. What is the start time for that race? 10 a.m. Okay. Yeah, that is much. Most of them start right about 6 yeah. <laughs> you know, the sun's just peeking out or you have to wear a headlamp for the first couple of miles. Let's talk about that race for a second. I've seen a lot and read a lot of glowing reviews of the Black Hill 100. It takes place, goes from Sturgis to Silver City and then back all yep. mostly on the on this beautiful Centennial Trail. Kind of kind of give us your your impressions of that race, what it's all about and and kind of what your race looked like. Okay. Yeah, so the the trail is really cool and really unique and um, has a lot of history founded in that area mm-hmm. um, which is awesome like just being a part of an experience like that or yeah. a race adventure like knowing that you're on that is so cool right um but like i i looked at an elevation profile on the map um before the race and i didn't do any like pre-race scouting of the course um just because just from the reviews, it, it was pretty detailed from what people were saying. Right. So I was kind of able to get a gist of what we were looking at. Um, and honestly, like, especially the first, like 30, 40 miles out, like I only had a few small sections that had issues, but it was a lot of running, um, at like 3000 feet, climbing up to like 5,000 feet and then dropping back down to, 3,500. Yeah. Uh, and then like another bit where you're at 
like 3,500 and then you're climbing back up to like 5,000 then you're dropping down to 4,000 because it had a net uphill on the way out and you had a net downhill on the way back. Right. So it definitely played to that advantage of being able to coast a little bit more on the way back, which was good. Um, but then during the race, I had uh, a major dehydration issue uh, because the race started so late. I'm in the like heat of the sun at four o'clock, whatever that was. Right. 40, 40, 35, 40 miles. Um, I'm using the bathroom and I'm like very dehydrated. I'm seeing my crew. I'm like, guys, I'm like way dehydrated. Like I don't feel bad, but like, right. you know how that can oh, yeah. if, if you're not paying attention to it. So um, we had a, a couple emergency uh, stops at the aid stations where we were taking a little bit of extra time to make sure I was, you know, taking care of myself. We had some Pedialyte, um, Tailwind, which I was using the entire time, Water, which I was using the entire time. Um, and then after two of those eight stations, I was back on track, ready to go, um, felt good, but I would say for that race, um, I had maybe 65, 70, probably 70 miles of sunlight, um, at the, like from the start to that right around that 70 mile mark. Um, but once that sun went down, the race temperatures dropped drastically um, and it, we actually had a storm roll in right when the, <laughs> um, the sun went down and it was about three, three and a half hours of rain at night. Yeah. So it made it for much tougher conditions where I think I was seven hours and 15 minutes on the way out and it was 50, 52 and a half miles on the way out and 52 on the well, way back. Cause it was out and back. Um, and then I was like 10 hours and five minutes or whatever. Yeah, but you still set a new course record. You smashed the course record. You were the first person to go under 20 hours on that course and you went under quite a bit. Mm -hmm. No, it was, it was awesome. And we we knew from the beginning that I was well under the course record pace. Uh, I mean, I guess I could say now, but in full transparency, it it sucks because I was like, ah, I could have, you know, I could have got another 30, 40 minutes. Right. This didn't happen. You know, that didn't happen. Um, I wasn't puking on the side of the last aid station, you know, (laughs) but, (laughs) <laughs> but all things considered it worked out pretty well um but yeah it was it was a rough string of emotions with that dehydration in the middle of the race uh and then i had a pacer from let's see he was with me from like 64 to 84 mm-hmm. and then i had another 20 miles after that by myself so right after he left me the first couple of miles were great but then it was like, oh no, it was, it was, it was definitely uh, rough. And then luckily that's when the, the rain kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, pretty much whenever I had my pacer um, who did 21 miles with me, Travis, he, he did a great job keeping me company and, you know, keeping me motivated, making sure I was staying hydrated and all that. But it was the, yeah, after that, it was, it was a, another rough patch with those races right because you're all by yourself you're enjoying having some friend time and then you're like oh 20 miles to go good heavens 20 <laughs> miles and change to go course wise is it a pretty pretty good course out there what's the terrain like is it is it rocky so is it technical yeah so it's a mix of it's not te- it's, it's definitely not technical coming off of eastern states uh, yeah oh, I, i've heard very few things are considered technical compared to eastern states <laughs> yes um but a lot of single track um there we saw some runners mountain bikers in the beginning part of the race mm-hmm. like in the first 30 miles i saw a number of runners i saw a number of mountain bikers um and then it gets to uh the top of uh 
like it's a drastic downhill. Yeah. Uh, you can come into an aid station in the mid thirties. Um, and then it's a drastic uphill and then it's a nice cruising down an ATV trail, um, with big chunks of rocks, but it's all, it's all dirt on the top of that. And then you get down that, um, it's like a mile road section to the uh, 41 mile aid station. Yeah. Um, and then it's a nice ATV trail that I thought was flat, honestly, uh, when I was running out on the course, <laughs> um, but I didn't realize how much it was uphill until I was heading back down. You're like, wow, like, where was this? Where was this hill before? Exactly. No, I was, I was happy about it. I was like, oh, this is a lot easier than I thought it was. <laughs> um, and then the last three miles on the outback, uh, it, it goes off the Centennial Trail onto, I think the trail is called Deer Trail or Deer Path. Yeah. Um, and that, that's probably the worst part of the course. Um, it's like three miles. You're dropping like 1500 feet. Um, and then it's like switchbacks that just did not, that they were not in any part of the race. Um, so it's like a totally technical terrain for that turnaround. Um, and I'm, I'm very thankful that I hit that when I hit that, like still with daylight. Cause if I right. saw that at night, I would have had a conniption, <laughs> um, <laughs> but honestly, like it was, I think it was just steep going down because on the way back up, I had poles and everything and I was fine. Um, and I didn't have any issues. So I guess it just depends on the type of runner. Like I'm better at running uphills than I am at downhills. What, so. what makes you a good uphill runner? Cause I know so many people struggle with uphills and we, and we do this thing called power hiking, which is, which is walking, but walking <laughs> doesn't sound as extreme as power hiking. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mix of power hiking. I have long legs. I'm six, three. So, um, I can definitely stretch my legs out pretty yeah. quick, but when I'm getting to the, some of the steeper sections, I switch from like a long stride to like really shorten my steps to make them quick. Um, and I am most of the time, if, if I was with, around people, I would power hike on some of these sections that they're running and I would be faster saving more energy yeah. doing it. So I think it's just a matter of efficiency, being, being able to go up and down, um, these in the quickest way possible and save your legs. Of course, as the course goes on, you know, what's coming up and especially in this course you did the first you did the whole course and then you have to do the whole course again backwards right which is kind of nice because i'm sure you pick out some landmarks that you look forward to seeing again and you kind of know as you cross these landmarks off your list you're getting closer and closer to the start finish for sure and they had eight eight stations maybe or seven on the course and then seven on the way back because the eighth was the turnaround um, so yeah, you're like, okay, this was, this was this age, Jason, this was like on the corner of a road and like a farm. Um, and I definitely had a couple of those in my head that when I was going out in the beginning, I was only what, seven, 10, 15 miles in yeah. that I didn't think anything of. And it's, um, these inaccessible stations to crew and only like the race volunteers are able to get there. But it's in the middle of the one of them, or it's like in the middle of a riverbed that, like, I don't know how a vehicle got there, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> and they were like just making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when I saw them, like, at 11 a.m. or 11:30 right, a.m. Right. I saw. Um, and when I got back there uh, for finishing the race, um, they were asleep because I mean it was <laughs> had been like 1:30, 2 in the morning, um, and like. Like yeah, two aid stations I had. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out where the one group of people were because there were vehicles, but I didn't see any tents or anything. I don't know if right. they're sleeping in the cars or what. Yeah. Um, but like I, 
I just saw my Corona one. So I was like, okay, I'm okay with not, you know, having, um, like food or fuel, like I'll be good. But the second one, the guy was sleeping underneath the, uh, the collapsible table and he like heard me coming and I was just filling my water. He was like, and he freaked out because he didn't expect me to be coming so quickly. Um, <laughs> so he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And it was like still raining at this point and his sleeping bag soaking wet. And it was, it was very memorable. True story. I was uh, crewing my buddy, Kyle. He was running uh, a, a hundred mile race and, and he did really well. He set a new course record on the course. And I remember getting to an aid station and you kind of know your runner and where they should be. And I said, Hey, my runner's going to be here in the next 30 minutes. I said, no, he's not. <laughs> no, you're, we're not going to see runners here for another two hours. Sure as shit, 28 minutes rolls around, and I'm like, there he is. <laughs> the guy's like, make some sandwiches! And you see people making peanut butter sandwiches as fast as they possibly can and, and, and spread, spreading things out. And it sounds like that was kind of the case for you because, again, no one up until you went under 20 hours so i'm sure they Mm -hmm. were accustomed to okay we got some time the last person came through it's going to be a while before someone uh, sees us again and there you were interrupting some poor guy's sleep exactly (laughs) (laughs) And, and what i found out later is the crew that were at those aid stations say at like 11 a.m 11 30 they were there all the way to the next day like they were the one or two, three, four, whatever the number of people were at the crew yeah. or at the station. They were at that station for the entirety of the race. That's so, awesome. Yeah. They volunteered easily 30, 36 hours, whatever the cutoff was. So Ryan just wants you to know volunteers at those aid stations. He appreciates your 36 hour days. He was okay. He had his crew out there. You go ahead and get your nap in. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ryan holds nothing against you. No. <laughs> <laughs> so sounds like a beautiful course. Uh, Weather wise, you said it was a little hot during the day. It was. I've never experienced a race with that many weird weather conditions. We had uh, the beating sun yeah. uh, during during the race. Uh, we had humidity, um, wind when you're getting on the tops of these uh, hills. Yeah, I guess you would call them. Um, and then once the temperature dropped, we had like still soaking wet kind of from the humidity and I was dumping ice on me all day, yeah. um, which I probably should have stopped before uh, it got dark, which <laughs> now I know, but right. it, it dropped from high seventies to like low fifties in probably like an hour and a half. Wow. Um, and then in that same hour and a half, that's when the temperature I, I'm assuming changed because of the rain. Um, but I was already soaking wet, so I guess it didn't matter. But yeah, I, I was just getting poured on. I was not not all about it, to be honest. At parts <laughs> of that, uh, that race, and then you're you're doing these intense climbs um, that you might have been doing eight and a half, nine minute pace during the day, and you think you're going the same pace, but at night you're like easily two two and a half minutes slower on yeah. those sections, right? Uh, up and down, and then you get to the top, you're breaking a sweat or you're wet from the rain. And then the, the wind hits you and all of a sudden you're like very cold. Um, so it, it was just a matter of working uh, with that. And like that allowed me to kind of break up the race a little bit, yeah. which was good. Um, but at night, I definitely asked my crew for arm sleeves and uh, gloves. I switched my gloves actually twice at night um, just because they were soaking wet from the rain. Well, it's so interesting too because you know I, I run primarily around my house, and in, in the south we've got this high humidity, 
in the summer yeah. where you do a race in the south if it's during the the spring or summer months if it gets up to 80 or 90 degrees during the day it may get down to 75 at night because the temperature just drops so slowly because the humidity holds that heat in mm -hmm. but up there there's really nothing to hold that heat. And so when the sun goes down, boom, you've got a 50 degree or a 40 or 30 degree temperature change so quick. And it's like, oh, that's a little shock to the system. Yeah. No, big I actually think it, now that you said that, I actually do think the temperatures got down to like 42 when I was running. Oh, wow. That's so, cold. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, it was definitely colder than I thought it was going to be um, for a race of that magnitude. Yeah. Um, and I know that, like, I, I read about it. So I was like, oh, like 40, 40 what is 42 degrees, you know? But 42 degrees after 80, 90 miles is. Right. It's rough. much, much colder. So that was pretty good. That had to feel good to, you did have some downs, you did have some rough spots, but then to come in and win the thing and to set a new course record and not just kind of set a new course record, crush the course yeah, record. Yeah, all over an hour. Yeah, that had to be kind of a confidence booster for you. Yeah, no, I was I was pumped about it. Um, <laughs> but so, so we flew in uh, from New York, uh, me and my crew chief, and then we had another guy, Travis, who was my pacer, flew yeah. in from Phoenix. Yeah. And we were going to, like, spend a day in uh, South Dakota and then travel through Wyoming a little bit and then Colorado for, like, a little mini vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like we we're gonna do like hikes and like some of the high peaks in uh, Colorado, whatever. Yeah. Um, and like I, I've done a hundred miles before, so I was like, oh, I'll be fine. Like whatever. I did not estimate how my body was gonna feel after running. And I know it's not really at altitude, but I mean, if the NCAA is giving you conversion at three thousand feet for any any event, uh, right? I'm I'm gonna say there's there's some sort of effect on your body, and I definitely felt it uh, breathing wise during the race and after. I was like, ooh. This feels good not to have a pack on me anymore. Right. You were probably like, you know, thinking, oh, man, it's be great to do some hiking. But then you get down to it and your buddies want to go on vacation. Like, you know what? You you go ahead and just I'm going to stay behind. Get some <laughs> rest. You guys go hike till you're you can't hike anymore. Yep. And then um, with that, I actually I fell a few times in the race, but I fell at 102 miles in the race because yeah. um, I got off track and uh, somewhat tall grass, but it was still soaking wet um, from the it, it could have been the dew it could have been the rain yeah. i don't even know um but i got i was like a foot from the trail and my one foot uh caught onto a branch i yeah. think i want to say it was a branch and then i ended up falling and slamming my uh upper left tibia into either a root or a rock or something oh. and it, i mean it felt like it hurt but during the last three miles but everything else and on my body hurt at that point pretty much right um, but after like two days, um, it was swollen up quite a bit and like ice wasn't really doing much anti-inflammatories and I was a little concerned about it. So I ended up getting an x-ray back when we got uh, home from the race. Yeah. Uh, they didn't see anything on that, but it was still swollen. So they sent me to get an MRI and they, um, determined that it was a deep bone bruise from like a direct impact. So yeah. from the fall. And then I had a, uh, acute tendonitis also on that area oh so, yeah so i uh i knocked myself out pretty good for a few weeks of training after that race well but the thing is i mean that is that race is the same weekend as western states so it's the last yep. saturday in, in june and then you've got basically a, a i would say 
doing the math, two months, a little less was, than two yeah, months. It was exactly eight weeks. Eight weeks. Yeah, States. turnaround to Eastern States. You probably, your plan was, you know, you knew how your body reacted to 100 miles. You go out there, you run hard. You didn't realize how hard that would have been on your body and, and, and how much more recovery time you would need. So how did you have to alter your plans to get ready for Eastern States? <laughs> so that's a very good question, actually, Ryan. Um, the plan was to take about three, four, five days off. Um, still, still running a mile a day. I have a five-year run streak at this point. Yeah. So got to keep that up. Got to keep going, yeah. <laughs> but it, no serious training or anything. And then, you know, ease back into the training, um, get as technical as trails as I could get up here on Long Island. There aren't really many technical trails, but are, there are a few sections that I was uh, hoping to get a few hours of, you know, hill repeats and um, power hiking up, running down some of the hills. Um, and then just build that mileage just a little bit more, uh, 120, 130 mile weeks, um, just because I figured that there, I was going to be out a little bit longer on that race than I was going to be uh, on the Black Hills race because right. I had about four, 45, 5,000 feet more of climbing right. uh, in the race. And there's now after doing both races, Eastern States had more runnable sections than Black Hills, believe it or not. Really? Um, but they were in like big bursts. So like the 17, 17 miles to like 42, 43 miles was like a marathon of, it was, I mean, it was either gra very gradual uphill, very gradual flat or very gradual downhill. Um, but then pretty much any other mile in that race where it's either just up down or up and down uh, and a combination of it. Um, there were a few like breaks that you had on the top of um, some of these mount mountains, yeah. um, <laughs> Pennsylvania mountains. But yeah, for the most part, it was um, very unrunnable or very runnable. And like, I didn't, that was another course I didn't preview. Um, I went to uh, college about 40 minutes away from there. Yeah. Um, so I was familiar with some of the trails and everyone says, you know, the Rocky Trails of Pennsylvania, Rocksylvania, yeah. etc. Um, so I, I knew that that was a thing, and I read people's uh, recaps. I think I've read like eight or nine recaps to like get people's different opinions on it. Um, so I, I kind of knew what I was kind of expecting, but in the race, like so that that was a five a.m. start, which was more typical to um, just ultras in general, right? So it was probably five, six miles in the dark. Um, and then after those five or six miles, the terrain, I mean, those, those weren't easy miles, but they were dark. So you couldn't really see them. Yeah. But the next like six, seven, eight miles, like were not easy. And I was like, Oh, I hope the whole race isn't like this. Cause it was not very runnable. I was doing a 10 and a half, 11 minute miles, like kind of struggling, like going uphill and downhill. Yeah. Um, just be, and just cause of the terrain and, at like one point I had a group of like eight people pass me like way early on in the race, like bombing the downhills. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is what we're doing. Or <laughs> we're going pretty aggressive on the downhills. I hope, uh, I hope this works out for you guys. Um, like, like, and a lot of those people are from the race are locals. So yeah. like, they like, you know, the trail. So I was like, Oh no, I hope like there's not a gap that's created. I'm going to have to fill over the course of five, six, seven, eight, whatever the, the, the distance may be at time. Um, 
but yeah, and ended up by a station three. Uh, it was like a quarter mile out and back on the course to like get to the main course from the yeah. a station. Um, and I, I was at third place on that course at that point. Um, worked my way up from like 11th from the two a stations before spoiler uh, alert everybody the eight people that pass ryan in that downhill <laughs> section did not beat him to the finish line i i'm sorry i didn't want to ruin that for anybody but i saw it on ultra sign up so yeah that sounds like you you had an idea of the course but it wasn't what you had expected exactly and um kind of i guess jumping back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier with the training before that so i had that eight week block that i was like okay i have eight weeks to train for this race uh, with having those hills hill repeats and longer runs yeah um but then i lost three and a half weeks of actual training uh so now i'm down to four and a half weeks of training for this race yeah um, and I, I i already lost a week at the end of it because it's i've got a taper right um, into it so it's like three and a half weeks of training going to the race so i ended up <laughs> cycling for i was an eight-day cyclist um <laughs> which, most expensive uh, eight days of your life <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah there it's a different piece uh the amount of fluid you have to put in cycling and um not not my wheelhouse but um no pun intended <laughs> pun, that was, yeah um but it, it, no it was it was good it was good change up from running and um turns out i'm pretty good at cycling like 18 and a half 19 miles per hour for most of my rides which people and i was on a hybrid bike um from like the 1980s so it was yeah it was it was actually pretty good um did it have the banana seat and the streamers on it <laughs> no <laughs> it was i think that was the next generation right right after <laughs> ryan's blown by people on these fancy bikes with these little streamers coming off little bit exactly. so you want to ride i can give you a ride <laughs> so once a, once, a, a playing uh, card in the spokes to make it sound like a motorcycle exactly with the yeah. sound going by um but once once i was able to uh not have pain running i just gradually increased my mileage but i was not taking any chances doing trails i think i maybe did like two trail runs before yeah. the actual race so it was, it was all road running um, and pretty flat road running here that we have yeah you're not getting the kind of vert in long island that you're going to be getting on the Eastern States course. So, but you do pretty well there. I mean, you, you won the damn thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> again, spoiler alert, everybody. Um, I, I used my strengths, I guess you would say, um, on that course. Mm -hmm. I knew, like, I wasn't going to be able to bomb the downhills. Uh, and especially later on in the course, I didn't know how my quads were going to hand, handle that type of climbing. Because um, really, it's like, it's like a 60 mile race of 20,000 feet of climbing and then like a 40 mile race with no climbing. Like that's the best way to describe it. Really? Uh, yeah. It was the miles, uh, and they're, they're all over. Uh, people have stuff on Strava. I might run a uh, race on Strava, but like you're climbing 1100, 1200, 1500 feet in a mile and a half, two miles, multiple times over. And then the same on the reverse going back down. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a different kind of course um, compared to what a lot of a lot of these races are uh, in uh, America for ultras. You probably think at some point, you know, I'm the, I'm the Black Hills 100 champion, towing the line here at Eastern States. At some point, you had to say to yourself, "I'm not in South Dakota anymore." 
Yeah, that is a that is a great way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you do you do pretty well. You move through the night. Did you have any 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 rough spots out at Eastern States that things started to fall apart, or were you doing pretty well throughout the whole thing? I, I was going to say so. I was in the third place position uh, right till we got to that third aid station. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they did the aid stations in this race were a little weird. Um, they had an uh, aid station at. 17 miles, 43 miles, 63 miles, 80 miles, 92 miles, and that was it. So it was it was very limited aid stations with the crew. They, they had aid stations every five to eight miles, right? but it, it was just with um, the people from the race, right? which another race where they did a phenomenal job. I think they, uh, the stat was they had more volunteers and actual racers yeah. to put on the event because they have 16 aid stations throughout the course. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an incredibly well-run event. Um, definitely one of the best ultras, um, probably in the country in terms of the amount of support that the local community gives to the event. And then just the number of people it takes to make the event take place in terms of marking out the course beforehand. They have different teams of people, uh, before the day of race, before the race, they have people running these sections to making make sure there's not last minute trees down yeah. or anything in between. So I've, I've never seen a race like that before. Um, so that was so awesome to have. And uh, race directors, super um, great at communicating with uh, what's going on, especially with my crew, because they had questions because they were like, oh, he's supposed to be here now, but he's not. Like, what's like, because right. they couldn't get to the aid stations. Um, so they were trying to inform them and there's no service there. So it's not like I could send a quick text message right. uh, while racing like and i we uh we did a new thing this year um my well first race ever doing it where we had a apple air tag on my uh oh that's interesting yeah that we were we were going to use to uh, track so anytime it's by a iphone that has service it'll ping off uh the iphone and then go to satellite and then the crew will be able to see my exact location yeah but because there was no service for like the first 40 miles um they were not getting pings at all. <laughs> so, but that, that was our strategy to be able to kind of know where I was going to be at just because that's a genius were, idea. Uh, yeah. A genius idea. Maybe if you, you, you know, you, you could have researched the cell service out in the area, but I like, kind of like that because yeah. they, they weigh so little and it really wouldn't add much to anybody's pack mm-hmm. to, to put one in there. And it gives you an idea like, okay, our runner is five miles out. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, and like I tried the uh, the Garmin inReach before, uh, like FKT attempts and just some adventures uh, on the trails, which is great. But it's like a heavier device that, um, especially in shade or covered tree, shaded area, like you're not going to get the coverage that you're looking for. And it has to, the satellite has to be um, pointing directly up towards a, like the sky. So. Yeah. There's a lot of variables with that. So, yeah, that, that was our quick solution that um, somebody that was doing a FKT attempt here on Long Island suggested. And he, he actually had two air, air tags on him from uh, a media crew and then his actual crew. So they were able to jump back and forth and know where he was at exactly. I think you may have just changed the crewing game forever. <laughs> this might be the best piece of, of modern day crewing advice ever. Stick an Apple air tag in their waste pack or or backpack or or vest that's just the way to do it 
Yeah. <laughs> That's real. I mean, yeah, but hopefully your race has better service than, than Eastern States had. So you, you go through the night, you get to the finish line. How did they, how'd the race end for you? So um, I'll just jump back. So 17 yeah, miles, we had a 17 mile stretch to 43 miles, like yep. very runnable. Um, the two guys ahead of me stopped at the aid station to like one guy change his shoes, which I don't, I don't know what the whole situation was with that. Like you're 17 miles into a race. I don't know why you're changing shoes. Maybe he tried but, new shoes and he's like, damn it. I need to go back to the oldies. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then another guy was just getting water. And stuff. I just got water, got some snacks and stuff. And I was just out. Yeah. Um, it was, it was five miles, like very gradual uphill, um, very runnable. So I took off and I literally didn't look back. Like, I was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to be good for a little bit. And I, I didn't realize how runnable that next marathon was. So between the time that I saw those guys for at 17 mile mark, and then all the way up to the 42 mile mark later, I didn't find this out until like at the end of the race, but I had 45 minutes on them in 26 miles. Oh, wow. So yeah, I put a lot of time on them between that. Um, and then the middle part of the race, uh, 43 to 64 about, yeah. Yeah. uh, they were allowing for pacers. Um, and I had a pacer that actually ended up dropping the day before, um, that was going to pace that section, which in hindsight, that would have been great to have because that was the worst part of the entire race for me. Right. Um, but you're in tree coverage most of the day. And then you get to 43 miles for me was peak heat of the day. Um, no tree exposure at all. Like you're at the top of, um, these mountains uh, or mini mountains. Yeah. And it, like just going through water, I've, I'm burning through salt tablets every like 40, 50 minutes. Like, and I've just dehydrated. I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, right. Like, I'm just trying to like tail every, and, and since my crew's not able to access me for these 21 miles, like I'm getting water and tailwind at every single aid station, making sure I'm getting some sort of solid food in. Um, but it's like still like some, something's not right. What's going on here? Um, <laughs> so we end up like, I end up finally seeing my crew at 64 miles. And I'm like, guys, that was a rough, rough, uh, section of like, what, th- like three sections broken up. And I think it stemmed from like, when I saw my crew last, the guy was like, Oh, have you done this race before? I was like, Oh no, 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 not at all. He's like, okay, this, this section's not bad at all. You know, it's a quick two miles uphill and this flat the rest of the way to the next day station. It was two miles uphill, which was fine. But then it was not flat. It was like up and down and up and down. Like those, that's that's probably the part of the race where those downhills that were like 10, 15, 20% grade, like really started like to hurt. Um, wow. And those, those downhills were worse than the uphills. That aid station guy was fucking with you. Yeah, honestly. I, I, <laughs> if he's he listened to this, like he, he, uh, he easily messed with my head for like 15 miles. <laughs> Like, if I make a wrong turn, none of this is flat. What is that guy talking about? Exactly. <laughs> um, but then I got to the, let's see, 64 mile mark. I had my, I had another pacer that was uh, going to be doing 16 miles with me. And uh, the, the pacer I had uh, worked for the uh, conservation department yeah. um, in Pennsylvania where they did part of the course and they uh, worked on the terrain. So he knew the course, but he had, a, so he was a college teammate of mine, but he had not run for literally like six months. He was the first. The first run in six months was trying to pace you. Second, second run. So he did the five miles the day before with me. 
<laughs> he ran five miles a day before, and then he's doing 16 miles with the guy who's trying to set the course record at Eastern States. Exactly. <laughs> How'd so that I, go for him? Good. Good, actually. Really? He, oh, yeah, he only uh, cramped up surprisingly like uh, with like a mile to go, where his legs almost gave out. But yeah, he was he was stellar crew. Did you drop <laughs> him at the with a half mile to go? Um, no, because based off of how the course was, it was some very technical downhills and I was not doing those technical downhills very quickly. Yeah. So, um, and he was able to do some of those downhills a little quicker. See, he was on obviously running out of fresher legs. Um, yeah. So no no dropping, but, um, (laughs) we had a couple scares where we got to uh, one of the aid stations between the two crude aid stations Yeah. and they had the, um, the cowbell and they were ringing it like, good job like because we were coming up they're go first runner blah 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 blah. and we're leaving the aid station we're like 100 feet past it just to where we can't really see the aid station anymore and we hear them ring the bell again and we're like is that the second place person right behind me right and like i had a bad like i said 21 miles in the heat so i was like like someone could have caught me in that section 100 yeah. percent um and but the last like 10 miles like 64 to 74 like those that was i wasn't moving great but i was like my exact pace was course record pace at right. that time and i was like i don't think someone's running fast like course record pace this stage in the game um but it definitely uh mentally messed with me a little bit that there could have been someone there um and we got to the next crude aid station at uh, 80 miles and they wouldn't tell us we were like is someone right behind us like and they literally would not tell us and we were like oh no like <laughs> this, this could be bad <laughs> <laughs> they're like um, the locals don't want to let the new york guy know honestly <laughs> that, that's what it felt like um but i had a, another pacer travis who was the guy that paced me um at black hills he yeah. jumped and was able to uh do from 80 80 miles to 90 92 i think mm-hmm. or 80 82 to 94 yeah so it was another good chunk and that's when it transitioned from the sunset um, he probably got two miles of sunset running with me and then it was straight night miles and you think rocks are bad when you're running during the day randomly uh just having rocks and stuff and technical terrain and bad footing like it is so much worse at night <laughs> did you use a headlamp or did you wear something around your waist i i know that some people just swear by the waist light when it comes to technical terrain yeah i i had the uh petzl reactive uh, headlamp, mm-hmm. um, which I wore for five miles or six miles, whatever, before, uh, the first, for the first, like five, six miles of the race, took that off. And then I had the battery out for the entirety of the race until that 82 miles. Yeah. And then put it back in and it was fine, uh, running with him for that 80, 80 mile, the 92 mile section. And then, um, yeah. for some reason, this is a second race this happened to me. I had this happen in a December hundred miler where the headlamp just starts dying and then it's like a dimmer light and then it's like nothing. Um, I actually had the headlamp die on me uh, five miles away from the finish. You're like, <laughs> reactive my ass. Yeah. More like, defective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm actually um, getting a different headlamp specifically because it's failed me twice now. Um, the BioLite 750 is, okay. is the bomb. That thing, I because I'll, I'll do most of my runs 
like the sun will be it'll be dark when I go out and run, so I'll just wear a headlamp. And I usually only need it for like 40 minutes or, or so in my or my run. I charge the thing like once every two or three weeks. It's oh wow. It's ridiculous. And it's got one of those features where you can do like it's like a 750, you can adjust it from like 250, 750 lumens, and then there's like a thousand lumen burst in the back where you can oh, wow. like where you can like push a button in the back and it's a thousand lumens coming out of your headlamp and you fit this like it's like a, it's like, it's like the, 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 the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, it's like you're going to heaven or something. It's, it's like a searchlight. Oh, it's a searchlight. Yeah. You feel like a, like a lighthouse. You're just looking around <laughs> doing all that stuff. So it's worth looking into that one. I've had really good luck with the BioLite 750. BioLite 750. All right. I'm going to write it down. Yeah. That, that is good. Petzl's not sponsoring this podcast now crossing them off the list. No, I had a, I was on a, another podcast, uh, a week and a half ago and they said, um, the ultra, I think it was ultra aspire, uh, waist lamp that the guy swore by. Oh, I've heard good things about that too. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I've heard people that say really good things about ultra spire stuff. Um, and I, I think that a combination, I see people do a combination of a waist lamp with a headlamp seems that's what the guy, uh, ended up doing. Um, which I'm, I I would definitely consider in a, a tactical race like that. Yeah, because it makes sense to have something that's hitting the light. Not, not you're not getting as much shadows when it's coming from your waist. Exactly. So maybe cut less time off. Uh, make that two two and a half minutes slower per night mile. Maybe only one one and a half minutes. You're right, and I, you're probably going to get a letter from Petzl saying we're so <laughs> yeah. sorry, Ryan. We heard you on multiple podcasts. <laughs> we're so sorry. We sent the new Ryan Clifford edition of the Petzl Reactive. And we promised this one. It won't fail you like it failed you two right. times. Right, exactly. You're like, no, no, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, we can't get fooled again um, <laughs> on that one. So you, you're doing really well. You had some rough spots here and there. You crossed that finish line, though. And again, another W and another stellar performance. Yeah. Yeah, that... Uh I guess I'll just back to like so headlamp last yeah. five miles. Yeah, five someone miles. Gives head, someone gives me a head. I end up getting a headlamp at um, four miles to go. It's like the last aid station, um, and my crew can't access me. And I'm like, can you guys like communicate with them to get um, like a headlamp for me? They're like, no, we can't. Like, go there. You'll, you'll get disqualified. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, can I borrow someone's headlamp for the last four miles? There. Yeah. So one one of the people were like, yeah, sure, here you go. So that was super nice of them. Um, and the last four miles were like probably two miles of flat, rocky uh, trails. Yeah. And then like two miles that were just like straight down. Like you're getting off the top of this mountain and you're going back into the valley and you're going to the finish line. Um, and I guess there's rattlesnakes. Uh, the last like mile, like there's like a cove of them that just hang out in these like um, rocks, like where you're on your uh, hands and feet. Like you have to lower yourself down from these rocks. Like it's not runnable train so wow. um, and at this point like my quads are already shot so the last four miles i i walked the last four miles um well yeah because you, you got some rayovac home depot <laughs> headlamp that some aid station worker had bought the night before for twenty dollars exactly. it's it's got 50 it's got three settings 10 lumens 20 lumens and 25 lumens and yes. it has a giant battery pack in the back is bouncing all over the place <laughs> and then there's snakes everywhere yeah, it was it was a uh, bad. I was at that's when I was just like, all right, we have less than an hour to go. Let's just get through this. Um, but then you know you have to you have to make it look good, good for everyone at the finish at uh, one in the morning, even though there was like five people there. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you see the finish, you all you all of a sudden you're going from that nice power hike, uh, and then you're just 
straight running like, like you were doing it the entire time here i come everybody popping into 25 lumen mode <laughs> the battery pack is getting hot we're gonna finish this race it's gonna be we're awesome ready to go <laughs> so yeah that was uh <laughs> that was uh that was how that one ended that was that was a better finish um than black hills but uh my my stomach ended up getting messed up after that race as well um so still, still working out uh, how to get the stomach not get as messed up because I did a pretty good job eating during the day. Yeah. Um, well, I but, think it's, it's probably one of those things too, Ryan, where even though you are an in-shape person, I mean, that's the understatement of the year. Oh, man, <laughs> what a genius the adventure jogger is. He called Ryan Clifford in shape. No, but you, you're someone who's, who's you know been doing running and hard running for a very long time, since high school, since college, and you've been this mm-hmm. – you've been putting in a lot of long miles – but even at that point, though, there's probably just the toll of those two races back to back, one mm-hmm. being the altitude you weren't prepared for, and everyone reacts differently to different levels of altitude. And for this sure. next one being just so damn rocky. And it's it's Pennsylvania in August. And it's not like Pennsylvania in August is is beautiful 50 degrees and and light, light overcast. It's- yeah, you, you get 50 degrees in the morning and at night um, and in the evening, but it's 50 degrees plus 95% humidity. Exactly. So it does. it's it's an entirely different ball game. You wonder if it's just the, the taxiness of the hard races that you had and your body's like, like give me a break. But what do I know? There's somebody that knows a heck of a lot more than I do about these things. Before we go, Ryan, uh, two things I want to know from you. As someone who has been, you know, in running for as long as you have, and someone that's that's approached running from the cross country standpoint, what are two workouts for you, running wise, that you feel are something that every runner could incorporate into their training to get better? Um. Hmm. I like doing, uh, I mean, it could be any workout, like mile repeats or 1K repeats, probably the two that I would lead towards the most, um, that whatever your training cycle is, if say it's 16 weeks, 20 weeks, something you could do every like four weeks or every six weeks, whatever it's going to be, that you can have as like a workout. And then the next time you do it, you add another rep but then you also cut the rest down. So you're really able to see yourself make those improvements um, over the course of your training. Like, yeah. So you know that there's some sort of progress that's taking place. Gotcha. Something to make you go like, okay, well, I am getting a little faster. I'm getting a little stronger. Okay, that's one. You, you got that one. Next one. Um, you can't say long run. That would be cheating. <laughs> um, I, I think some of those just very consistent, um, like mid- mid long distance runs 14 15 16 mile runs um like i i pop a lot of those out and now my my training is a little different for what i'm training for but um like in a typical training week i'll probably have like three or four 13 to 16 mile runs like just in like a straight um run yeah during the good stuff um, i think just doing that in a consistent manner over months and years like will eventually build to a certain level of strength that unless you stop running like you won't lose that right good stuff what do you do what are you looking to do next ryan so uh october 1st i have a 50 mile race in new jersey 
Nice. Um, Which one? Uh, the Trials of Miles, uh, Hudson River 50. Okay. So it's the, it's the first year they're doing it. It's two 25 mile looped, um, 25 mile loops, which is going to be nice. Um, eight stations look a little limited, uh, for what the last email we got two days ago. Right. Um, but for 50 miles, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's a walk in the park. Um, but it's going to be six, just under six hours probably. Right. Um, so it is, it won't be anything too crazy. Um, and then after that, I'm finishing the year off with, um, a 555 mile trek across, uh, New York. Um, I guess we call it trek adventure, um, from October 16th to October 23rd. Um, so the course of a week, I'm looking to run about 79 miles a day. Um, and on the, uh, empire's, uh, trail from Buffalo to Brooklyn. Um, so running across the entire, uh, state of New York, um, over in that middle, uh, week of October, that that's, that's the big, uh, end of the year adventure, I guess you'd say. That's fantastic. That's really cool stuff. I hope you have a good time with that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it'll be uh, cool. I'm actually raising uh, money back during COVID in 2020. I, in the summer of 2020, I, I raised $16,000 for a uh, local children's foundation that helps, uh, six sick and underprivileged children. Yeah. Um, specifically on long island um so i'm raising money for them again i'm hoping to get thirty thousand dollars uh for the charity uh, over awesome. the course of the week where can so people, yeah that, that'll be pretty exciting where can people go if they want to donate to support your your endeavor <laughs> so uh, i was planning on uh, making that page live hopefully either later today or tomorrow but um that information could be found at ryanontherun.com ryanontherun.com no wonder i couldn't get ryanontherun.com because you got it away from me ryan clifford <laughs> so yeah no it'll uh it'll be all up there probably on the home page um if not it'll be on a drop down tab with more information all right ryan on the run.com ryan clifford thank you for taking some time out of your busy day setting up escape rooms and hanging out in new york to chat with us here on the adventure jogger yeah thanks for having me <laughs> All right, go to the show notes of the podcast and you will find the link to Ryan's page where you can make a donation to help support his endeavors as he runs across the state of New York uh, later in October. Thank you so much for listening. People have asked, you know, how can I support the Adventure Jogger podcast? And and Patreon's a way you can do that and you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link to that on theadventurejogger.com. But another real easy way that you can support the podcast is by sharing episodes you enjoy on social media. If you enjoyed my chat with Ryan Clifford, you can share the episode. You can share it directly from wherever you get your podcast from. If you're an iTunes person, if you're a SoundCloud person, if you're a Google person, share the link to that episode and just say, hey, if you're looking for a new running podcast, this might be the ticket. That's a great way you can support the Adventure Jogger podcast by sharing episodes that you love. I'll just ask you that. If you love an episode, just share it. Adventurejogger.com. We got back episodes if you're not all caught up. We also have gear on there as well. Our race team shirts. Go check them out. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode.
Yeah.